I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. This week, in a surprise hearing from the January 6th committee, we heard from Cassidy Hutchinson, who was an aide to White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. At the hearing, she detailed many instances that Trump knew of the possible violence at the Capitol and some examples of extreme anger from the president, too. She told a story about Trump grabbing the steering wheel of his security detail, demanding that they take him to the Capitol. For more on what, if anything, legally may come from the hearings, we'll speak to Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill. Well, I think there were a number of takeaways that left a lot of people in Washington and across the country pretty shocked. It really, I think, showed what the state or allegedly what the state of President Trump's mind was that day. I think the number one takeaway was her recounting of, you know, this is a secondhand account she had heard from someone else, that President Trump went as far as to lunge at the driver of his motorcade while in the car and as the head of his security detail when he wanted to go to the Capitol, but his security had deemed it too unsafe for him due to the crowd there, and he was dead set on going to the Capitol. So that was definitely the number one takeaway, the thing that's gotten a lot of headlines in Washington. Another takeaway is the fact that he apparently knew the crowd was dangerous. You know, during his rally or right before his rally at the White House Ellipse, he was told that a number of people could not come in because they had weapons. However, he did not seemed to care that they had weapons. He wanted a crowd there. And that's such an important piece of information because we know during that rally, he said to viewers and people there at the rally that they were going to march to the Capitol. So knowing that these people could have potentially been dangerous and were armed. So I think those were the top two takeaways, just showing, you know, how the president knew how dangerous or allegedly knew how dangerous the situation was. And Mark Meadows himself, right? So Hutchinson, it was one of his aides. She was privy to some of the conversations. She heard a lot of other conversations. The same went for him, too. There was uh, just kind of a a blasé attitude with what was going on. The president didn't care about some of the weapons. He was like, I don't care either. You know, it's not a big deal. There was reports that he would uh, rarely look up from his phone during some of these things because that's how little he thought of what was going on. It paints a picture of 
you know, like I said, where the president's mind was that day. And it appears that the president's mind was, you know, getting his message across and was very, um, you know, he was very inward looking. He wanted this to be a rally about him. He wanted his supporters to be out and about, and he was willing to go to multiple lengths or any length really to get there. So absolutely, I think that it paints that picture. There was another uh, story of President Trump and just kind of how angry he was getting at all of this stuff. I I guess he had a penchant for throwing dishes. There was one instance when Bill Barr had said in an interview, there was no evidence of widespread fraud in the election. He threw a plate of food at the wall. There was ketchup dripping down the wall from the wall. Hutchinson herself said she, uh, you know, helped by getting a towel and helped cleaning it. There's probably been a lot of angry moments in the presidency across all, you know, the many different administrations. But just again, painting that picture. And uh, one of the other things that we saw with this, too, was a deep worry of legal exposure for President Trump and the White House with regards to going to the Capitol. We saw Mark Meadows and Giuliani, all of them try to petition Trump to give them pardons even. Yeah, absolutely. I think those were that was another takeaway as well, that Giuliani and Chief of Staff Mark Meadows were asking for pardons, and that would somehow indicate that they knew something, uh, they, they were doing something, or those around them was doing something wrong. So, Definitely, you know, it sort of goes into also the narrative about those Republican congressmen asking for pardons, just showing how they were very much trying to take cover after they knew that this wasn't going to go their way. Now, one of the big questions in all of this is what, if anything, legally would come from these hearings. This isn't a, a you know an official body, a, a law enforcement body, so you know it's not subject to the same types of rules and all. And that's specifically the case with Cassidy Hutchinson herself. So legally, in a court of law, you might deem some of her testimony hearsay, something that she didn't experience firsthand. It was, this was things that she heard from other people, but she was in a lot of the rooms when some of this stuff happens. She heard it directly from principal people in those rooms as far as her testimony goes. And so how do, what do we make of that, at least, on the legal front of things? I think from the legal front, look, the, the January 6th committee, I think, knew that a lot of this would be perceived as hearsay. They knew that there would be challenges to her accounts, many of which were secondhand accounts. Like, for example, uh, there's been reporting that the driver of that car that the president wanted him to take him to the Capitol has, you know, is willing to testify under oath that that did not take place or that account is untrue. So they knew that. But I think, you know, this is all about them trying to prove intent to prove that there was, you know, a concerted effort, that President Trump knew what he was doing was wrong, that there was malice or, uh, you know, he knew that he was being counseled by the appropriate people and was not listening to their counsel. So, you know, they don't have the jurisdiction to press charges, but I think the question is, will the Justice Department, and I think that's where this testimony plays a key role, but we'll have to see if the Justice Department accepts that. Yeah, there's still some key timeline issues. Uh, You know, if the story is true about President Trump really getting angry and wanting to go to the Capitol, were the rioters already attacking the Capitol? Were they fully inside already? And did he still want to go at that moment. You know, that part of the timeline hasn't been revealed yet. But you're right. This is really up to the Justice Department, the FBI. They're doing their own investigation. And we'll see what comes of there. 
overall still, it seems that Republicans have largely not really paid attention to what's going on in these hearings. We know that uh, everybody's on their own sides of things and don't really care. A lot of them are saying this is just all another sham. But some of this stuff is, is just really hard to uh, square away with right now. Yeah, some of it is. And you're seeing a number of, you know, some conservative editorial boards here in the uh, in Washington, including the Washington Examiner coming out against Trump in the wake of this testimony. But look, you know, does this impact Trump's standing within the Republican Party? You know, whether he gets the support of key committees like the Republican National Committee, you know, at this point, I doubt it. But you have to wonder, um, with this constant slew of negative headlines about the president, would they want to push back against that? Yeah, there was a a recent CBS YouGov poll conducted last week. About 70 percent of Democrats are following the hearings, some or a lot, just about a quarter of Republicans are following that and even half of less than half of independents. So, uh, you know, we'll see what uh, continues to happen in these hearings. There may be one or two more, but we'll see what more we get from that. Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Could Q be back? On the same day that the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade, and after more than 18 months of silence, the leader of the QAnon conspiracy theory returned online with three posts asking people if they want to play the game again, and are you ready to serve your country again? For more on the latest Q drops, and what his return could mean for many of those who subscribe to his conspiracy theories, we'll speak to Stuart Thompson reporter at the New York Times covering disinformation. The QAnon character, Q, has been gone since December 2020, and it took a lot of researchers by surprise when the Post showed up on Friday saying, uh, I think it was, Let's, are you ready to play the game again? It's one of those lines uh, echoing some previous posts and uh, the movie War Games. And yeah, that was a surprising turn of events. We didn't expect to see back necessarily at all. And coming at an interesting time for the country, obviously, the Supreme Court rulings last week culminating in the abortion decision was already kind of exciting the QAnon communities online because they kind of look at any any change, any new law, any kind of disruption to the country as a potential sign that some of Q's prophecies are going to come true. And it sort of dropped on Friday. And yeah, I mean, it was it was unexpected. I think yeah. interesting, another layer that's kind of interesting is some of the characters involved in Q. Ron Watkins, the guy that's believed to be behind Q, potentially, you know, he's running a congressional race that's doing poorly that's going to end in august 2nd so kind of fortuitous timing for him as well yeah yeah exactly and we'll get into him a little bit just to a little more on how he figures into all of this but uh, you know just taking a step back even right this whole q on conspiracy theory they think that this person q is either somebody involved was somebody involved in the trump administration or in the military, and obviously they're trying to um, arrest a secret cabal of pedophiles and Democrats involved in all of this. I mean, this was kind of the basis for it, but the QAnon conspiracy theory and the people that really devoted themselves to all of this, I mean, really, really took off. I mean, we saw it culminate on the January 6th Capitol riots. A lot of the people there were wearing Q shirts, Q sent me, you know, all this other stuff, and it just kind of took on a life of its own. Yeah, it did. Like, uh, you know, if you go back to Pizzagate, which is this idea that there's a basement of a pizza parlor where there's supposedly some child sexual abuse happening, that's kind of the origins of the whole movement. And then it grew from there with, you know, the appearance of Q and kind of glomming onto a lot of those narratives that are popular in 
between these circles. And then, as you mentioned, January 6th, to me, is kind of like the, the apex of the movement. You know, Q had stopped posting by then, but it was the biggest show of force uh, in real life that we've probably seen from the Q community. And uh, it kind of ebbed after that, and people were trying to figure out what to do. But polling did show you know, maybe like millions of people believed in the core tenets of Q. And that energy since has been put into different directions. Yeah. But there's been kind of a rumbling of QAnon activity ever since. So it'll be interesting to see what happens now. If Q is back, is that going to pull people back in who felt a little dejected by the prophecies, the main prophecies about arresting people and holding public trials and things like that not coming true? You know, a lot of people kind of drifted away and went into other things. There was so much surrounding, you know, uh, President Trump coming back into power, uh, mass arrests being made, and all of that fell flat. Nothing happened, right? And Q disappeared. I think it was 18 months or something since the last drop that we've had. And the people that follow this, you know, glom onto any little writing, any little cryptic message, and they create whole stories out of it. And that's really what happened. There was somebody that asked Q, why were you gone for so long? It had to be done this way is how we respond. That was one of the posts. I mean, it's so simple mm-hmm. of an answer, you know, but yeah. people will take that and run with it at that point. Yeah, they're going to fill it in. And that's the participatory nature of QAnon and part of its power is that people can create the lore as they interpret the writings and play a role in shaping the whole thing. I think one thing around January 6th that maybe didn't breach the popular consciousness that much was, I mean, in QAnon communities, people thought that rally would be the culmination point where Trump would take to the stage and instead of repeating a bunch of lies about the election, he would announce the arrest and people would be brought out that day. Like, that was a pretty strong belief in the community. So when he gets up on stage and just starts giving his normal kind of stunt speech about the election, people are pretty disappointed in that and, you know, some of that outrage plays out from there. But that's what Q does. It's it's vague on purpose, and it's a pretty powerful conspiracy in that way. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Ron Watkins, who was involved in the website. His father, Jim Watkins, owns the Eight Coon website, and there was uh, experts looking into this and how the posting was made. There was changes made to some of the security on the website before these drops came out. A lot of people kind of say Q would not have been able to have posted there if not helped for the administration there at the website. So again, it starts pointing more fingers closer to them. But you know, this has always been kind of shrouded in this mystery and what. Whatnot. So, yeah, we'll see where all of this goes from here. It's an interesting resurgence, and there's still a lot of believers to the uh, conspiracy theories of all this, and you know, we'll see if we get more drops. It uh, all becomes very interesting very quickly. Stuart Thompson, reporter at the New York Times covering disinformation. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast, I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, 
take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In work news, we're hearing a lot about hiring freezes and layoffs as inflation and fears of a recession persist. The latest we have heard over the past few weeks is that some companies are rescinding job offers. It's not happening on a large scale yet, but what should you do if it happens to you? For more on some tips on how to get yourself back out there, we'll speak to Jennifer Liu, work reporter at CNBC Make It. So for the past year, we've really been hearing a lot about the great resignation where job seekers and candidates have a lot of bargaining power and a lot of confidence in the job market to quit their job for a new one, for more pay, a better title, or better benefits. But what we haven't seen is this shift in employers really pumping the brakes on their hiring. And in these cases with hyper-growth companies, they are pumping the brakes so quickly that they are, in fact, having to take back the offers that they've just made to folks intended to start in the coming weeks or months even. So these anecdotes of people having job offers, you know, cutting ties with their former employer, maybe taking a little break and ready to start a new job. Some people are finding out within days that the new job they were intending to start has been cut or eliminated, oftentimes due to budget. That's got to be so tough, especially if you've left the other company or already set everything in motion. You know, hey, my last day is Friday and Thursday, you're getting this note that your other job offers got rescinded. You know, that's got to be super stressful. And you spoke to a couple of HR experts on what to do if something like this happens to you. And right away, one of the first things they say is put yourself back on the job market. You know, start looking at your networks for new job leads. That's one of the first things you should be doing right away. A great place to start is if it feels like you're starting at square one, simply updating your LinkedIn profile, reaching out to your online professional network to signal, hey, I am back on the job market. I am taking new leads and interviews. You could even post a little bit more about your situation and the details of why you are back on the market so quickly. It happened exactly to one of the HR experts you spoke to, Bethelyn Staples. And, you know, she posted it on LinkedIn. It, it ended up going viral, her message of her job offer getting rescinded. 
obviously that helped her a lot. You know, she it led to another uh, to multiple job interviews and other offers and everything, and she's doing okay now. But not everybody can go viral, so it's just important to start working your networks. One of the other things that they recommend to do is you can even revisit other job offers, and it makes the perfect point for always to leave on a good note. You know, no ghosting. Be polite as possible and professional in case you do have to revisit some of those spots. You know, you don't necessarily have to start back at square one of your job search. If you are just on the market and you have been through rounds of interviews, you can think, did you recently turn down other offers that you can now revisit? If you withdrew from rounds of interviews with other companies, are they still hiring for that role? You can certainly reach out to the hiring manager or HR representative that you were most recently connected with and be clear about what happened. You can share some context about the rescinding employer as long as it doesn't violate an NDA. And also, you know, in this tight hiring environment, if you were in a situation where you had to make a decision on a previous offer very quickly, you can let the new firm know that, hey, I had to make this decision within a 48-hour window. That job offer is no longer on the table, but I'm very much still excited about this opportunity that we have here. Is this something that you are still hiring for? And then we can move on from here. One of the main things, and I think some of the smartest advice that's coming up from this is ask your prospective employer about the health of the company. You can do this in the interview process and all that, and just get a feel for how they plan to weather upcoming uneven economic news, right? You know, if a recession comes mm-hmm. through, is, is the health of your company enough? Or, you know, how many people have you been hiring recently? These are just kind of all indicators on how viable a, a job offer might be and if it's a place that you're going to want to stick with. Yeah, there are a number of ways that you can ask prospective employers about the health of the business, asking about their plans for hiring in the second half of the year, or especially for, you know, some of these tech startups that we're seeing, you know, when is the next round of financing coming in? Is there enough runway in the business to keep hiring, even if there is a market slowdown or downturn? You can also get a gauge of what hiring has looked like for the company recently. So how many people have been brought to the company in the last month? Or how many people are expected to be part of your onboarding class if you do join the company soon? There are also ways to ask the interviewer about the more personal side of how comfortable do you feel in your role, in your job security here, or what were the big topics discussed at the company's last town hall? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to do. Obviously, if a job offer does get rescinded, you know, get right back out there immediately. Again, this is not happening all over the place, but it's been, we're starting to hear some stories of this going on. You can also reach back to your old employer. Maybe a lot of people don't want to do that. Uh, You can try some staffing agencies for temporary stuff, but above all, the other thing they say is don't take it personally. It can feel like a big personal blow when something like this happens, but you know, it could always lead to other opportunities as well. Jennifer Liu, work reporter at CNBC Make It. Thank you very much for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do 
and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.